0: Well, we have uh, gotten in our series on the Shorter Catechism, we've gotten to the actual Ten Commandments now. We did the preface last week and had a couple other introductory questions about the moral law before that and the summary of the Ten Commandments. Uh, We've seen that in God's mercy that he gave us the Ten Commandments. He gave the Ten Commandments to his church when he redeemed us. When he redeemed his people out of Egypt, we are, of course, part of that same people that God established his covenants with. He brought us out of bondage in Egypt and into our own land so that we might serve him as his holy people. And even though all people ought to be moral, even if they don't have the commandments, because we should know them anyway, the Lord knows that being ruined by the fall, we need to have that counsel and that instruction and to be told you know don't do that don't do that even when it's obvious we we need to develop our moral senses of course he also gives us the holy spirit who changes our hearts delivering us from our rebellion so that we come to the lord to be saved from our sins and both for forgiveness and new life we come to him and then we're born again and we want to be holy before God. We want to be sanctified. If we're not born again, then we won't look at the Ten Commandments in the right way. We won't look at them, as, we won't see them as a summary of how to live. We'll look at them as a very, in a very legalistic way, something that we want to try to get around, find loopholes, try to avoid, you know, kind of like taxes, right? You, you go through and you look for all the loopholes so that you won't have to pay as much tax. That's, that's what you do with taxes. 'Cause it's you know, it's a legalistic thing, if you can find, oh look, I can get a deduction there, then you grab that deduction. But when there's God's law, if we look at it that way, there's something bad wrong. Because his law is for the enrichment of our life, and that we become become beautiful in living the way that, that he is appointed. I talked to you about legalism, you know, and the, like you tell the kid, you know, don't touch that table, and so then you find him standing on the table, don't touch that table with your hand, you say, Keep your hands off that table. And then you find him standing on the table. Oh, well, I, I didn't touch it with my hand. You know, he, he's not trying to do what you ask him to do. He's trying to find a loophole, get around it. He's not looking to, to please his parent. So that's the way that uh, that's the way people can be with God's commandments when, they're, when they don't have a, a, a new heart. I've explained to you that when you're truly born again, you want the commandments to speak into every part of your life. Write down to the details from the inside to the outside. Reach into the depths of the heart and mind and to come out through your actions, what you do with your hands, what you do with your feet, where you go. Our bodies are to be for the Lord. As John says in 1 John 5, 3, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Now, when you lost they are burdensome because they tell you all the stuff is wrong with you. And you don't have a savior. And the last thing you want is for God to be telling you all the stuff you're doing wrong. and You don't have a savior. But if you have a savior and you have forgiveness, then the commandments are good. They're, they're not burdensome. They're a delight. It's how it is you know, for a new believer when he begins to look at the commandments. He, he begins to see that these are directions for, for following the Lord. So it's with that attitude that we come today to look at the first commandment, the catechism is structured so that with each commandment, we look first at what the commandment is, then at what it requires, and after that, at what it forbids. And then with some of the commandments, there are additional things to look at, like if it has reasons to enforce the keeping of it, or warnings or something like that, or promises that are attached to it somehow. So we'll work through those as they come. But today we're looking at the first commandment, what it is and what it requires. So we're doing two questions today like we did last week. Please join me now in confessing what we believe about the first commandment as it is expressed in questions 45 and 46 of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Question 45, which is the first commandment? The first commandment is, thou shalt have no other gods before me. What is required in the first commandment? The first commandment requireth us to know and acknowledge God, to be the only true God and our God, and to worship and glorify him accordingly. For our scripture reading related to this, I have selected Deuteronomy 26, 16 through 27, 10. So please give careful attention because this is God's holy word. Deuteronomy 26 and verse 16. This day the Lord your God commands you to observe these statutes and judgments. Therefore you shall be careful to observe them with all your heart and with all your soul. Today, You have proclaimed the Lord to be your God and that you will walk in his ways and keep his statutes, his commandments, his judgments, and that you will obey his voice. And today the Lord has proclaimed you to be his special people, just as he promised you that you should keep all his commandments and that he will set you high above all nations which he has made in praise, in name and in honor and that you may be a holy people to the Lord your God, just as he has spoken. Now let me pause there before we begin uh, verse 27. So so God's taken us as his people that we should obey all of his commandments. And you think about that. Remember when we've talked about being a servant, like if you're a servant of a fisherman, then you go out and start fishing, and the fisherman says, fish like this, you know. Throw the net in this way, pull it in this way, separate the fish like this. He gives you all the things to do. And so you, you then follow the commandments as a servant to the fisherman. If we're a servant of God, what does he tell us to do? He tells us, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Love your neighbors yourself. He tells us the things in the commandments. That, and then we are his, because we're his people, we belong to him. So that's how we live. So let's see, 27.1, 20, continuing on. Now Moses with the elders of Israel commanded the people saying keep the commandments which I command you today and it shall be on the day when you cross over the Jordan to the land which the Lord your God is giving you that you shall set up for yourselves large stones and whitewash them with lime you shall write on them all the words of this law when you have crossed over that you may enter the land which the Lord your God is giving you a land flowing with milk and honey. Just as the Lord God of your fathers promised you, therefore, it shall be when you have crossed over the Jordan that on Mount Ebal, you shall set up these stones, which I command you today, and you shall whitewash them with lime. And there you shall build an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. You shall not use an iron tool on them. You shall build with whole stones the altar of the Lord your God and offer burnt offerings on it to the Lord your God. You shall offer peace offerings and shall eat there and rejoice before the Lord your God. And you shall write very plainly on the stones all the words of this law. Then Moses and the priests, the Levites, spoke to all Israel, saying, Take heed and listen, O Israel. This day you have have become the people of the Lord your God. Therefore you shall obey the voice of the Lord your God and observe his commandments and his statutes which I command you today. And there we end the reading of God's word. May he add his blessing to that. Well, let's begin by looking at the overall idea of what it means to have God as your God. We saw that in that reading. Do you notice how the passage emphasizes that as those who are redeemed, we have God as our God. That's the very thing that the first commandment is founded on. Having him as our God. When it says we are to have no other gods, you see, the implication of that is that we have him. How do you have no other gods if he's not your God? It's like telling someone you should have no other wives, but this wife that you've married, you don't have a wife. (laughs) You've got to have one before you have no other ones. You can't have other gods before him if you don't have him as your God. So if if we look at the commandment with eagerness, the way I've already spoken to you about, we conclude by implication that the duty required in the first commandment that's not stated, a prohibition is what's stated, have no other gods before me. But by implication, we conclude that we are to have him as our God. And that this commandment requires us to have God as our God as the catechism puts it, that we know and acknowledge God to be the only true God and our God, and that we worship and glorify him accordingly. That's what it means to have him as our God. Look at how beautifully this is spelled out in Deuteronomy twenty six seventeen. Today you have proclaimed the Lord to be your God, and that you will walk in his ways and keep his statutes, his commandments, and his judgments, and that you will obey his voice. God's people had entered into a covenant with him after he redeemed them, just as we do when we profess our faith and we take our vows. And when we do that as his people, we take him to be our God. It's a reversal of the fall where we rejected God as our God. So that's fundamental to keeping the the first commandment. And look at how the Lord acknowledges this relationship in verse 18 and 19. Also, today the Lord has proclaimed you to be his special people, just as he promised you that you should keep all his commandments, and that he will set you high above all nations which he has made in praise and name and in honor, and that you may be a holy people to the Lord your God, just as he has spoken. Do you you see how rich those words are? He's going to set you above other people in praise and in honor as he has spoken in name. God has promised right from the beginning, I'll make your name great, he said to Abraham. His purpose for taking us as his people is spelled out here. It's not merely to redeem us so that we can do whatever, but it's to set us free from servitude to Egypt so that we can serve him. So that we might be a beautiful, holy people to him, a praise in all the earth. So overall idea of what it means to be redeemed, freed to have God as our God, something we couldn't have done if he had not redeemed us. Being God's people is what we were made for in the first place, isn't it? We have a god Given God hunger. We were created with a desire for him and with a need for him. We obviously need him as provider and sustainer of our physical lives, but we also need him emotionally and intellectually and spiritually. It was a reckless, senseless, wicked, foolish, destructive thing that we, the entire human race, cast off our God but that's exactly what we did and what we still do and what God's people do that have been redeemed when they turn away from him and they commit spiritual adultery. We we tread through life with this God hunger in that case that's never satisfied. He explains a lot about us and why we have so many problems. We have these deep, unsatisfied longings at the core of our being, unless we come to the Lord our God, nothing is really going to be sufficient. We either suppress those longings of our soul and fall into despair, or we spend our days trying to satisfy them in all sorts of ways that that will never satisfy them. Pursuing other gods, right? The thing that is forbidden here. We'll examine some of that next week, of course, uh, Lord willing. But what a marvelous and delightful thing it is when God calls us back to himself as our God. It's the only way for the deepest longings of our soul to be satisfied. You know that's true, don't you? When you are walking with God, that's when you have the satisfaction. Having him as our God reaches to the very heart of what it is to be a human being rather than an empty, barren shell of a human being. Once we are redeemed, a great change begins. We now have God as our God, and we begin to live as those who have Him as our God. I remember when I first came to the Lord in university, and the thing that really compelled me to come to the Lord was that I did not know God. And and there was a desire when I realized that people did know God and that I didn't. I wanted to know God, wanted to have Him as God. Now, of course, we're far from perfect in this life. When we've come to him, we're coming out of the fall and we've got a whole lot of growing to do. We've got a whole lot of things to shake off and things to put on. Just like when you get married, you've already taken your spouse as your husband or wife, but now you have to grow in that relationship. It has to develop, doesn't it? And you see God's first commandment to us after taking us to be his people is the one that tells him that very thing. You know, have me as your God by implication when it says, have no other gods before me. He tells us to have no other gods because he wants us to learn to have him as our only God. Well, then let's take a look at what it is to have him as our God in three key ways. First, to have him as our God is to know, acknowledge, worship and glorify him. Okay, those, that's what it is to have him as God, right? To know, acknowledge, worship, and glorify him as our creator and sustainer. What a delight there is in knowing him as the one and only creator and provider for us. Such wisdom, such power is seen when we look at God's creation. The heavens truly do declare the glory of God. What a privilege to know him as the one who spoke and it came into being, who said, let there be light. And there was light. He put all the stars in their places and he upholds all things by the word of his power. There is such creativity in him, such imagination. We know the one who came up with the whole idea that there should be such a thing as light. We could have not had any light in the creation. God could have made it where it was just all darkness. And that there should be such things as language. Such thing as colors. And giraffes. And mahogany trees. I like them as a woodworker. (laughs) That the sky would be blue. That was God's idea. That the grass would be green. That we would have fingers on our hands with thumbs. It's kind of nice to have the thumbs. You can do a lot, a lot more with them. And that there would be things to see and eyes to see them with. Could have easily made us without any eyes. Sounds to hear and ears to hear them with. And things to touch. Things that can feel. And that there would be male and female and marriage and the marriage bed and children that come out of that and that every child would be like his parent, and yet different from his parents at the same time. And that there would be all sorts of things to eat and that there would be language so that we could communicate with each other and with God. So that we could talk about God's attributes and his glory. How could we do that if we didn't have language? It would be a whole lot more difficult. And that we could think better than we would be able to think without language. In his wisdom, God came up with these things. There is he's a glorious God. On top of all this, how we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We have blood flowing through our veins and air filling our lungs. And eating to nourish us, I mean, what a way to bring about nourishment. I am really glad that God came up with eating as a way for nourishment because this is really a great way. I mean, what if you just like if you just got nourishment just from breathing, and that was it. We never ate. it'd be kind of dull and drab wouldn 't it? <laughs> this is all his doing we're able to know the one who devised all these things. the first commandment. Further tells us, foolish fallen human beings, that we are to know and acknowledge Him as our Creator. It is one of the most absurd things about fallen man that he constantly tries to suppress the fact that God is his Creator. I mean, it's insane. It's impossible to suppress that. But we're desperate because we don't want to feel obligated to thank God or to serve Him. We're corrupt, we're twisted. And so we miss out on knowing our creator and our provider and we try to have no creator. It's, it's really bizarre. We receive loads of blessings every day, beautiful sights to take in, food to eat, pleasures to enjoy. But we don't know how to really enjoy them. Because we don't receive them consciously from a gracious, loving God who made them for us, designed them for us. And provides them to us each day. We're left to have all these gifts without admiring the wisdom. And without rejoicing in the goodness of the one who provides them. Our gods. Are, and then our God hunger is so great. That we try to make gods out of the things themselves. We make a God out of eating or or drinking or or whatever it might be. We constantly are frustrated as a result. It's very sad. Very sad. Trying to suppress God. You end up. Not even able to enjoy the things that he did give us. Because when you make gods out of them, they become idols that consume you in the end. They eat you up. The Lord wants better things for us as his people. He has redeemed us and that's why he says, you shall have no other gods before me. He wants you to have him as our God, wants us to have him as our God, as our creator and provider and sustainer to have the joy of praising Him and thanking Him each day, and especially each Lord's Day, the day that He has given for us to remember Him as our Creator. So my brothers and sisters, don't be ashamed to acknowledge Him as your Creator and Provider. He, we who are redeemed can be embarrassed to speak of our knowledge of Him in this way, because people of this world will mock and laugh when you do that. Again, they're they're trying to do something that's really desperate. They're trying to deny God as their creator and provider. The Lord tells you that it's his commandment that you not let them take that away from you. You do not let them steal this from you. You are to acknowledge him as your creator and your sustainer. You are to look to him for your daily provision. Actively depend on him. Jesus told us to ask for our daily bread we're to knowingly eat from his hand. What a difference it makes to have gifts from someone you love versus to have gifts without the sense of his love. You think about with a a dog or something like that, that the difference there would be if you just had a, a container on the wall that just let the food drop down, or if you come and you give your dog a treat, there's a relationship going on there between the master and the dog. What if the dog is left alone in the house and just with food that comes out the wall um, and water? Well, the dog has everything they need, right? I don't think a dog would probably live very long <laughs> in such a situation. It would just it would, it would become very, very boring. And you see, we're that way is we're God's creatures. We're to receive knowing it came from his hand, not we just got it out of the ground or something. Okay, so uh now let's look at the second way that we're to have him as our God. Secondly, we are to know, acknowledge, worship, and glorify him as God, our lawmaker and judge. Okay, so that was creator and sustainer we looked at. Now it's lawgiver and judge. This speaks to the place that we belong. Okay, where do we belong? We belong under the rule of God, our God, the father of glory. We were made in his image. We were not made to be independent of him, to live apart from his rule. We were made to receive counsel and instruction from him, to be guided by him, to follow his commandments, to imitate his generosity and his love and his kindness. Brothers and sisters, we were made to be directed by our God, to be led by God, To be commanded by God. We belong under the authority of the Father. Under His authority. That's the place that God the Son and God the Holy Spirit have enjoyed for eternity. There is this sweet harmony in which the Son does what pleases the Father from all eternity. And the Spirit obeys the Father and the Son and proceeds from the Father and the Son. There is a concord. There is a a symphony of action and purpose. As human beings, it is all the more fitting for us to obey our God. We were gloriously fashioned with a moral nature in the likeness of God with the ability to love and serve, with the ability to understand God and to understand the will of God. We are able to please him and to do his will. The very thing that God the Son and God, the Holy Spirit, delight to do is to please the Father. Jesus said, I always do what pleases him. That is to be so with us also. There is nothing demeaning about submission at all unless it's a selfish tyrant that you submit to. It's a way of living in beautiful harmony with others. The way a symphony does when they submit, when they all submit to a conductor. Conductor. Is it demeaning to the cello player or the first chair violinist to submit to the conductor? Oh, that conductor, he's always telling us what to do. I don't want to do what the conductor says. You see, why would they do that? Are they, are they lower than him because they, they submit to him? Does that, does that make it them, them to be lesser somehow? No, they might even be his superiors. They might be better musicians. A first chair violinist maybe is a, a much better musician than the conductor. And yet when that conductor's conducting, he's part of the symphony and they're all going together. Now, of course, with God, he is far greater than us. But what I'm illustrating is that we think that submission is demeaning. And the Bible doesn't teach that. It's demeaning when someone is oppressing you, yes. But when we have the love and the harmony... It's not at all. And when God is the one, of course, he is rightly our superior. He is our superior, way over us. And all the more should we be cheerful about submitting to him. As mere creatures, we are not God's equals. We are roughly like a group of children who are just learning music who have the privilege of being conducted, in that case, by a master conductor. It's an inestimable Benefit and value to be directed by someone who is so wise and who is so superior to ourselves. When the triune God redeems us, he wants to bring us back into that right relationship all over again. He wants us to acknowledge him as God who has authority over us, is God who rules over us and who judges us. We live in a world that rejects his authority more than anything. A world that does not acknowledge God's laws and God's commandments. They don't, they're like that, that, that violinist, that cello player that says, Oh, I don't, I'm not going to listen to that conductor. Why should I listen to him? A world that denies him as the ultimate judge, as the one who has the last word. It's not popular opinion. It's not the law of the land. It is not what we decide in our own hearts. But it is God, our God, who has the final say. About what is right and what is wrong it judges what is right and what is wrong we acknowledge him as our God when we acknowledge him as the ultimate lawmaker and judge and we appeal to him we should desire to do nothing but what is his will we ought to be a, a, we ought not to be ashamed either just as we said we shouldn't be ashamed to own him as our creator we shouldn't be ashamed to uphold his standards and even in as gracious a way as we can, to tell others what he has said. We're told in the Bible to have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but what? We don't like the but part, but rather to expose them. We're supposed to expose them, say, that's not right. Each society seems to flow in and out of various kinds of transgressions of God's law. Certain sins become fashionable while other sins in a particular society are detestable to those people. In our day, oppression is held in contempt. We don't like anybody, you know, oppressing other people, although we seem to be kind of moving back into that some, but, but uh, you're looked at as a, a barbarian if in our society if you uphold sexual purity or something like that, that you know, that biblical marriage and and then oppose sex outside of marriage. You know, you're some kind of a, a, a barbarian that has, has come around. And, and you see, we shouldn't be ashamed. And then there are other societies where it's just the opposite. You know, that, that uh, oppression is not a big deal. Like, oh, that's just the way it is. You know, somebody's, this person's great so that everybody has to be under their, their thumb. But, but, but sexual morality, oh, no, we never, we'd never go for that unless it's the guy that's the oppressor. But uh, anybody else is completely out. We're not to be swayed by the passing fads of this world. We're rather to receive God's commandments, to command our household in the ways of the Lord and to uphold his law in our churches. It's part of having him as our God. We find true liberty when we take our place under God as our lawmaker and judge. We have the security and joy of knowing that we are living according to his precepts and that they are right that we are in harmony with our maker. And then we can become all that we are meant to be as human beings. Instead of being burdened all the time with how we're going to get revenge or whatever, whether we should cheat someone or, or whether we should identify as a male or a female, we don't have to be burdened with all of those things. Whether we should live whether we should leave a marriage that we've just grown tired of or whether we should go out and get drunk on Friday night. Don't have to make those decisions. We have the security of finding out what the will of the Lord is and then operating within that framework. His law becomes our delight and we meditate on it day and night when we have God as our God. You know what it means to meditate on something? It's where you... you take it and you look at it. when you meditate on God's law, you look at how it applies to different parts of your life. You can, have, you can have a rule or a commandment, but then you have to see, okay, how does this work out? Something like honoring other people. There, there's so much you can do with that. You know, How do I honor those who are, who are my peers? How do I honor people that are an authority? What about a political authority? How does that work out day by day? We're, we meditate on god's law constantly looking to be directed by him and for that reason we're we're delighted that he's given us his word because it helps us to do that we have examples and we can walk in it we can teach our children in it we can direct each other in his ways his precepts are right and this leads us to praise and thank him as god our lawmaker and judge with david in psalm 119 162 through 164 we say and i wonder if this is what you can say I rejoice at your word as one who finds great treasure. I hate and abhor lying, but I love your law. Seven times a day I will praise you because of your righteous judgments. When God is our God, we praise him for his commandments and we praise him for his judgments. We pray for understanding that we might be in line and able to do them in a way that's pleasing to him. We, we do not have him as our God unless this is so. But we also learn to see his righteous judgments and his cursing the world and, and his sentencing us to, to die and, and the clear teaching that Jesus has given us about the curse and about hell and those things, the curse of hell. We learn to praise him as the judge of all the earth who always does what's right. We lament for those who fall under judgment and who do not repent, but we acknowledge that the Lord our God is right, and we learn to worship and glorify him as the one who has righteous judgment. If we refuse to praise God as the God of judgment, then you don't have him as your God. So you want a God that doesn't have righteous judgment. You want a God that doesn't punish sin. That's a different God. You have another God then. So, again, we have to delight. We come to delight in him in these ways. It's not always easy to delight in him in these things. We need to grow in that and to begin to see the beauty of our God if we are to have him as our God. So you see what it is to have God as our God. First, we saw to know and acknowledge him as the only true creator, sustainer. Then we saw a lawgiver and judge as our creator and sustainer, lawgiver and judge, and to worship and glorify him accordingly. But now we come to the very best part of having the true God as our God, being fallen creatures. Thirdly, we are to know, acknowledge and worship, glorify God as God, our Redeemer. To know him as Redeemer means that we know him as he is revealed in his Son, In giving His Son to redeem us, we see His love and His justice in ways that we cannot see them anywhere else. Let me explain how both His love and His justice are known when we know Him as our Redeemer. First, consider how we know His love when we know Him as our Redeemer. We see that God Almighty, as God Almighty, He gives His only Son to redeem us. And we see how the Son in His great love willingly comes to give his life a ransom for us this love is beyond all comprehension and all comparison when we know the true god we know him as the one who did this in love next consider how we know his justice when we know him as our redeemer we see that he is so holy and so just that nothing but the blood of Jesus could wash away the guilt of our sin that is the price that justice demanded we know that nothing else would do because Jesus prayed that if it was possible that the cup of his suffering would pass from him it was not possible the father heard his prayer the cup did not pass from him because there was no way he had to drink the bitter cup because there was no other way for us to be saved. That's God's justice. And when the first commandment speaks of having God as our God, it means that we must have this God who sent his only son to redeem us. Jesus made it very clear that we do not know the father unless we know the son. John put it this way, First John 2.23, Whoever denies the son does not have the father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. So do you know God is your God if you don't know His Son? You do not. It's very important when it comes to understanding the first commandment. There are many people who claim that God the Father is known by the Jews and the Muslims and and all kinds of others. But they just say they know God, but they just don't know Jesus. No. No. No, that's that's a different God. The God that is the true God is the father of Jesus. Any God who is not the father of Jesus Christ is not the true God. The work of Jesus coming into the world and dying on the cross is so fundamental and integral to who the God of truth is that to refuse to acknowledge the son is always, always to deny the father. You simply do not know the true God unless you know him as the one who sent his only son to die on the cross. That's where the offense comes in of the cross. We want to say, oh, well, there's other ways that people can know God, too. No, there are not. Whoever denies the son does not have the father either. He who acknowledges the son has the father also. All worshipers who do not acknowledge and acknowledge and worship God, the son, are not worshiping the true God. They have a different God. So when we have God as our God, it means that we know him as our redeemer. It means that we know and acknowledge that our God is the God of justice and the God of mercy to the fallen human race. That he so loved us that he gave his only begotten son to die for the remission of our sins. And that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. That whoever does not believe in him will perish forever. We praise God. What what praise and what thanksgiving it draws from us when we know God this way? We cannot plummet the depths of such love. We can only grow more and more in our understanding of it. Ephesians three eighteen and 19 says to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. Each Lord's Day, we come at the command of Christ to remember what he did for us on the cross, to remember how the Father accepted him in his sacrifice for us, to praise both the Father and the Son and the Spirit who raised him, to declare his excellence as the God of all mercy, to give thanks to his holy name and to sing praises to him as our Redeemer. And then we go out each week to live our life in in his grace, In the grace of this one who has redeemed us through Jesus Christ. To live in the freedom of total forgiveness. To take heart that we have been so greatly loved by our Heavenly Father. To pour our lives as an offering of thanksgiving to him. Unless you have been reconciled by faith in the cross, you do not have the true God. You do not know the true God as your God. You are a stranger to him. You are not his worshiper. You are cut off until you learn of Christ. No one knows the father unless he knows the son, unless he knows God as his redeemer. And you must acknowledge him as your redeemer, both in your heart and by outward profession. Romans 10 teaches that we must acknowledge him as our redeemer with both our heart and our lips. Romans 10, 8 says, The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Acknowledging Christ with your lips means that you publicly profess him as God, your Redeemer. This always involves baptism. In Matthew twenty-eight, eighteen through 20, Jesus commanded that all of his disciples be baptized. They must acknowledge God as their Redeemer in an outward sign and in an outward profession. Acknowledging Christ with your heart means that you trust him as your Redeemer on the inside, you might say. You have no pretense that you are acceptable to God apart from his saving work. And who would want to, who, who would not want to do this? I mean, what, it's, it, it's a grand thing to have God as the only true God who is the God that gave his son to die in his great love for sinners. That's a great, wonderful thing to have him as the God who sent him and who accepted his sacrifice for his people's sin. So today we have seen that he is the God who gave this first commandment to his people in which he commands them to have him only as their God. That's the very reason he redeemed you, that you might be restored to him. And in this first commandment, he says to you, keep on having me as your God. Don't drift off to other gods And have other gods that are really not gods. Keep on having me, the Lord tells us in this commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Know him, brothers and sisters. Know him and acknowledge him. To be the only true God and your God. As your creator and sustainer. As your lawgiver and judge. And as your redeemer. Know him and acknowledge him as your God. And worship him and glorify him according to all that he is. This is what your father calls you to do in the first commandment. Please stand and let's pray. Lord God, we pray that we would have you as our God. That we would have you, the true God, as our God. That we would worship you and that we would glorify you as our God. We pray, Lord, that you would forgive us for all the times when we do not have you as our God. As our God, you are our creator and our sustainer. We praise you, Lord, that you are the one who has made all things. You're the one who has devised what would be and what would not be in the creation. You're the one who made us as we are. You're the one who sustains us, who feeds us and provides for us. We pray that we would eat from your hand with joy and thanksgiving and not with cold, impersonal indifference. And Father, as you are our God, you are also the lawgiver and the judge. And we pray that we would learn to walk in your ways, that we would delight in your ways, for it is a privilege that we have to be guided by you. You don't guide us into ugly living, you guide us into beautiful living. If we had come to live in the house of someone who is in a crime ring or something like that, we would learn all kinds of ugly ways of living, ways that are harmful and destructive. But you have called us to come into your house, Lord, to be your people, and your commandments are a delight to us. And your judgments are right and righteous altogether. And we pray that we would know you as lawgiver and judge, that we would live with you in that way. But, Father, we are especially thankful that we know you as our Redeemer, that as our God, that you are a Redeemer who has sent your Son to die on the cross for us. We see, Lord, how holy you are, but also how gracious and loving you are. And we pray that that knowledge would give us a delight in, in you and in your person. Oh, Lord, fill us with, with life. Fill us with knowledge of you, not, not with riches and honors and pleasures. But, Father, fill us with, a, with knowing our God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Jesus Christ, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.